Welcome back to What's Next, Living Longer, Better, Smarter. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Mary Furlong. In this episode, things that move you. We have some surprises for you, but first, this message from our sponsor, Vivid Picks. Got a shoebox full of memories? Family, friends, and treasured moments that were captured years ago. Vivid Picks Restore is designed to make restoring old photographs and documents simple. Really just click and fix. It works with PCs and Macs. You'll be amazed, and so will the whole family. At under $50, it's a great investment. And you can even try it for free at vivid-picks.com. And while you're there, check out the new Memory Station Scanning Solution bundled with Restore. The site again is vivid-pix.com. Well, Mary, it's officially summer. We have a fun theme, things that move you, and a couple of great guests in store. Yes, it's hard to believe we're into summer, but it's triple digits out here in California today. And our guests in this episode are both authors and can move you in different ways. It's a very exciting episode. So let's start with the introductions. He has been called the godfather of photography, he is a canon explorer of light. Rick Salmon is with us, somehow finding the time between writing books, numbering 42 at least, and traveling the world, shooting amazing images, and teaching others how to do it too. Wonderful to see you, Rick. Well, thank you so much. We had such a good time together out on the uh, Oregon coast. I remember you were out there. Uh, we learned a lot. We made a, made a lot of great pictures. And as you know, there's a big difference between taking a picture and making a picture. And it's good to see you. And it's great to be your friend for, I think, what, 15 years or so. At, at least. And uh, the Oregon coast, last trip I had before COVID. So it was yeah. terrific. So glad we did that. Yeah. Mary? And it's great to see Mary. Yes, and we didn't plan what we were wearing, but it's really wonderful to be here with two amazing creative participants. And because uh, you're younger men to me, because I'm 73 and a half. And so <laughs> you're a little younger, right? Well, I'm 72, yeah. so I'm close. And still creating. So one of my fondest memories was a Thanksgiving on the Oregon coast in Yahats. And a friend of mine just bought a group of cottages in Yahats. So we are going to be doing, isn't that amazing? That's why it's so beautiful. And um, we're gonna be going this fall to, uh, with a group of writers to update my book, which is 18 years old. So I loved your photographs of the Oregon coast and I can't wait to study that more. Uh, and your wife, Susan was your co-author. Yeah, she's the co-author and editor of all my books and uh, best friend for 50 years. And uh, yeah, I've just gone through some of the pictures there from the Oregon coast. It really is, really is an amazing, amazing uh, place. Yeah. Well, since you've started showing them, Rick, uh, yeah. you've been at this for so long. When it comes to photography, I know you like to say not specializing is your specialty. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You, you, do, you do wonderful portraits and the landscape uh, images that we just saw are breathtaking. So is it possible to put into words what makes a great picture? You know, people ask me that uh, all the time, you know, what, you know, what, what makes a great picture? And, you know, I think it comes down to uh, be a, it's, it's subjective. You know, for example, you know, I, I love photographing uh, horses. 
especially horses running on the beach. So I, I, I think if you fall in love with the subject and you like the subject, that's what makes a great picture for you. Because like, I know a guy, you know who he is too, <laughs> I won't mention his name, but he does not like insects. And I've seen some amazing pictures taken with like an electron microscope of a uh, of uh, of insects that is just amazing, but this person does not like these pictures. So you know, it's really what we like, and the same thing with music, the same thing with art. It's you know, it, it's it's really what we like. But I think you know, you know, maybe boiling it down a little. I think when it comes to like uh, an animal uh, or a person, it's gesture. Gesture is so important. So in this picture that you see here is the gesture of the girl and of her dress. And look at the gesture of her hand and the gesture and gesture of the horse. So it's really all about gesture, but this gesture can also apply getting back to the uh, Oregon coast and uh, take a look at, uh, take, yeah, take a look at this picture. Okay, it's a gesture of the waves coming in and out and the, sl and the slow motion of the waves. So I think, you know, gesture and movement, trying to make a, a, a picture come alive. And also another thing that might make a great picture is that, you know, you wanna, you feel like you're there. So by including that foreground element in, the, in those rocks in the foreground, you feel, you feel like you're uh, there. And the same thing in this picture. So that's what I try to do, I try to, uh, create pictures that people say, you know, man, I, I want to be there and I feel like I'm there. You know, uh, on our podcast, uh, Mary and I have talked about the, the value of photo reminiscence therapy, how valuable mm -hmm. it is for older adults uh, with memory issues, uh, really can bring people back to life, really. What are your thoughts about the connection to, to photos that can move us all? I'm sure your collection is more than a few shoeboxes. <laughs> So talking about, you know, how, how pictures, you know, bring back memories. Every Thanksgiving, I post this uh, picture of my father and, and I update it a little, but my father lived to 92, speaking about longevity, and he was sharp as a tack. He did not need Prevagen. <laughs> he did not, he was as sharp as a tack. And I was teaching him Photoshop and, and all this stuff. But, you know, <clears throat> the reason I put it up at Thanksgiving, because I want people to, uh, to uh, to realize you know how important our loved ones are and the, the title of this message is we are a part of everyone we meet and i think this is really true we are a part of everyone we meet my father's been gone for about 12 years but i'm still you know he's still a part of me my mother's been gone for 20 years she's a part of me so i think if we realize that we're a part of people uh, we meet and that's by the way how we develop our personalities. We take in, you know, what we like from other people and that becomes part of us. Whereas, you know, what we don't like, we don't, we don't take in. So, you know, my father was, you know, one of my heroes, the strongest person in my life at one point and became, you know, the weakest. You could see him uh, on his picture on, on the, uh, on his walker there. But I think without these photos, you know, I, I've, I've been to a hundred different countries, Antarctica, Africa, you know, I could go on and on. No picture makes me cry every once in a while than a picture, you know, of my father. So these are the pictures that are really the most important to us. So, yeah, we could get into the technical stuff and, uh, you know, the exposure triangle <laughs> and, uh, and digital stuff and all, you know, but it's really the people that, uh, that's why I think is so magical about photography. I could look at that picture of my father and say, hey, you know, I, I go, go down and see him for lunch, which I did actually twice a week uh, after my mother died for about 10 years. There's such a rich tapestry in the work. Rick, I'm, I'm so inspired. First of all, your story about your dad is so important and 
today I was telling Fred is the day that I lost my dad, you know, 20 something years ago. Mm. And I'm inspired to go find a photo because it was so quickly and then he was gone. And now when I hear that song, you can't take that away from me. Yeah, I right. Somewhere here. And invariably they play it somewhere close to this. And uh, my mother had a sympathy heart attack that day. So it was one of the roughest days. Oh, life. wow. Yeah. You know, it you was, hear that all the time, right? Right, right. Well, they danced in the kitchen to Frank Sinatra. But oh. I want to find the picture of them dancing and share it with the family yeah. so they can see that picture. Because it's important to keep those photographs in our lives so we have those memories, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember when I was getting my doctorate, one of my colleagues uh, did her dissertation on kids and cameras. Mm -hmm. So it's never too soon to start. And even the youngest children are looking for their pictures on their cell phone or yeah. taking their picture off their refri refrigerator. So helping them take pictures of things they love, I think is a good idea too. Yeah, photograph what you love. And yeah. one of those things, Rick, you know, we talk about uh, staying healthy and getting through the, the, the pandemic years now, years yeah. now, right? Yeah. Has been getting outside and photography. If you don't have a dog to walk or, mm -hmm. or another reason, picking up a camera and taking it with you, and it doesn't have to be far away, even though you do all that traveling, right, Rick? Well, actually, I'm working on a, on a Kelby One class on a great travel pictures start in your own backyard, in your own. Uh, actually, that was the original title. Now it's uh, how to take pictures in your hometown. And I, and I really believe that if you could take pictures in your home, get take, take good pictures in your hometown, you know, when you travel, I'm looking for a, a website here, uh, actually, uh, one of my galleries, it's called Rick's Backyard, which I'll share. If we could, if we could learn how to take pictures in our, in our backyard, then when we travel, you know, say we're going to Niagara Falls, I photographed the new Croton Dam here, I'll be prepared to get a picture at Niagara Falls. If I do a sunset by the river here, if I go to Key Largo, I could get a shot like that. Or if I'm going to Thailand, this is the largest Buddhist temple in the United States, 20 minutes from my house. So I spend a lot of time taking pictures at home. So when I go to places like around the world, you know, I can, uh, you know, I'm prepared and I could concentrate on composition and concentrate on enjoying the uh, moment. So, yeah, I really encourage people to take pictures in their own uh, hometown. Sometimes I don't feel like a day or a week is complete unless I've pushed the shutter button. You know, mm -hmm. for some reason, you know, the, well, there's just something about it. Well, it's satisfying for you, right? And, and I think you're saying when you do it and you look at that screen, you say, hey, I did it. You know, I did something creative. You know, I captured a moment in time. It's, uh, it's very, it's very uh, therapeutic, I think, photography. Uh, you know, I have a book, uh, you know, as you know, it's called, you know, Phototherapy, Motivation and, uh, and Wisdom. And this is, I actually, I wrote this during the pandemic. Then I started a, a face, actually, this was before the pandemic. I started a Facebook group uh, called Phototherapy because photography is very, very, uh, you know, therapeutic. And this is how we can, you know, grow as a person and, you know, interact with other people and share and uh, just enjoy life more. Like for me, what's more magical than, uh, you know, traveling virtually to like this picture that you're seeing on the cover of the book was taken in uh, in Tanzania. So when I look at this, you know, I feel like, hey, you know, I'm in Tanzania. Uh, that, that is incredible. Now, I have long thought that photographers were the happiest people 
on earth. <laughs> and I thought if I could do any, if I had the talent and could do any profession, that would be the one to choose. Um, is that true in your case? Are you? Well, I'd say I, I'm pretty happy. A lot has to do with uh, Susan Salmon, my wife for 47 years, the most positive person on the planet. But I, I'd say, uh, and a lot of people, you know, think, oh, being a travel photographer, you know, it, it's the greatest job on the planet. Well, this is what I'll say. You know, I use, as Fred knows, you know, I used to write AP photo column. And before that, I worked in an advertising agency with a suit and tie. And this is what I say about that job compared to this job. I say, you know, this job is like a, roll, like a roller coaster, being a travel photographer. The highs are really high and the lows can be really low. So, you know, doing what I do is like being on a roller coaster. But guess what? I would never trade that, you know, for being on the merry-go-round. <laughs> so the roller coaster for me is, uh, is way more exciting. But uh, I think, you know, you know I think... Uh, a, a, a psychologist might, if, if someone goes to a psychologist, and I have some, <laughs> some experience with this and says, you know, you know, what is happy, you know, what, what makes you happy, maybe happiness isn't really the right word, maybe it's being satisfied or, uh, you know, grateful, I would say, rather than, uh, than if I had to describe my feeling right now, after breaking my ankle last year, and being able to ride my bike now and do a bunch of other things and being alive at 72, I'd say my, my big, my main feeling is being grateful. And I'm grateful to be here with you guys. It's I'm having a ton of, I hope you're having this, hope you and the listeners and the viewers are having as much fun as we are. You know, I think that's right. I remember George Leonard's book called Mastery. And one of the things, and of course, I've started three companies in the field of aging, senior net third age, and now this one. And what I've noticed that people, when they're in the zone of mastery and they feel flow, as they are older in their life, they're pursuing their passions because it's what they enjoy. Mm -hmm. So photography is just a wonderful, potentially new hobby for many older adults. Yeah, but you know what? People, I'm not, you know, people say, oh, you know, Rick, you're a photographer. Uh, my son, actually, we were at a party once and my son said, um, and someone asked, he's standing next to me and someone says to me, Rick, what do you do? I said, I'm a photographer. So my son says, he corrects me, he says, dad, you're actually an entrepreneur who happens to be a photographer. That's true. That's what so, you so, are. So and I, had, I, I had a lot of different things going, but, you know, being, you know, so photography is only a part of my life. I spend actually more time playing music. You know, Fred said he doesn't feel satisfied if he doesn't click the shutter. Uh, I, I play music. There's a picture of my, uh, my music room here. Uh, I play music for, you know, at least two hours a day. I make pizza in the backyard. Uh, Susan and I have happy hour talking about longevity. I think this is really important <laughs> to, to, and that is, ha that is happy. But, but, and exercising, exercising is really, exercising is the key. I go to the heart doctor. Every time I go to the heart, do heart doctor, first thing he says is, what are you doing for exercise? Mm -hmm. So exercising is, that's why I ride my bike every day and walk and stuff like that. And attitude has a, has a, plays a big part in this too. Rick, one of the things that, uh, really just a comment here that, uh, that you've taught me is, when you go out, you might travel thousands of miles to go to a location to take pictures and the weather turns out to be garbage. Yeah. You make the most of it. It, do, you know, it doesn't stop you. It doesn't change your attitude. 
at least on the surface. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I, I try to always project, you know, a, a positive attitude. Actually, I think I wrote a, more than a few articles on what happens, what happens when the weather goes bad. Like we were in, we were in Antarctica once. And, and the weather wasn't uh, I'm looking for this EOS, the bottom of the world. I'm looking for a bad weather day. Uh, yeah, yeah. so this, this picture was taken on a, on, a, on a totally overcast day. So, you know, it's- Wow. <laughs> but wow. You, can, you can see how gray the sky is. So I always say like embrace the situation. It's my favorite picture from a South Georgia Island. Look how cloudy the sky is. You know, and there are people on the, on the ship saying, Oh man, it's overcast. Like we really wanted to be nice. I say, are you kidding? Taking the pictures on an, on an overcast day is much easier. Like here, much easier than taking a picture on a sunny day. Like here, because the contrast range is a lot lower. Actually, if you see all of these pictures, <laughs> I don't think there's one blue sky. One blue sky. So this is one of the things to expect. Uh, expect in. Uh, well, there's a blue sky picture uh, in Antarctica, but look at the look at the mood. You know, getting back to what the question before, what makes a good picture? You know, the mood and the feeling. What makes uh, uh, a great piece of music? Like um, I like I like uh, Santana. I like Clapton, and it's the mood and the feeling of their music that you know can move you. And the same thing with, with the photo, it's the mood of the sky here. I was so lucky having you know this picture. I think has a lot more drama than than this picture right uh you know the nice sky you know it's nice with the uh with the nice sky but you have this dramatic oh, over, overcast those, sky those are spectacular i'm i'm just gonna i'm gonna dedicate real time to going in to take a look at your work and well not only that thank you very much but antarctica is amazing to be at the bottom of the world and this far removed you know, from places to have close encounters with, with uh, this like a Weddell seal. Getting back to gesture, it looks like he's waving at us. Yeah. So I, I picked my pictures based on on gesture, uh, oftentimes. Wow! wow. It, Antarctica is just wow. an amazing, amazing place. Well, Rick, you you even offer you we're talking about the music. You offer guitar and piano lessons in addition to teaching so many people, thousands of people uh, about <laughs> photography. Well, I do. And uh, yeah, I have a, on my website, if you go to Rick's Music Room, it's right at the top. I have these free, uh, free lessons on guitar and piano. Actually, Fred, uh, <laughs> uh, this video, if I click on, on the YouTube channel here, I know you might have to, I'm not going to play the ad, but it has 136,000 views. That, that's, more, that's more views than any of my uh, photo videos. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. That's why mm -hmm. I say, I, you know, photography is a part of my life. Well, the, the website is ricksammon, S-A-M-M-O-N.com. Where to next, Rick? Uh, we're going to the, uh, the high Arctic, which, uh, and we're going to be looking for, uh, we're going to be looking for polar bears there. And I have a little gallery here from a last year's trip. And this is really a, it's, it's cool. Yeah. We fly to uh, Iceland, uh, then we're going north from there. But, uh, wow. you know, the, the, again, the wildlife up there. But, you know, a lot of people go for the wildlife, but I love the scenery too, you know, to be, you know, this in touch with, with Mother Nature, to see the drama 
of you know these uh, cloudscapes and the seascapes and and the ice and uh, and, and freezing your butt off. <laughs> it, it always feels really good to be uh, to be back on the ship. There's a yeah, there's a, a shot of the of our little cabin there. You know, so Rick, and and we said that your specialty is not specializing. So yeah. I'd like you to show folks just for a moment, maybe a couple of your favorite portrait shots because the way you connect with people through the lens is amazing. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, when I tell people, people say, hey, Rick, what's your specialty? Because photographers always want to uh, know that. And I say, well, my specialty is not specializing, but when it comes down to it, you know, I love, I love photographing people like these uh, Huli Wigman in Papua New Guinea. Uh, there's uh, actually, this is a security guard at our, at our hotel in Papua New Guinea. And I asked him to pose by a waterfall. So. I got a nice uh, photo. This is a mud woman in Papua New Guinea. But, you know, China is amazing. Um, this picture was taken at the Sisters Meal Festival. Uh, Venice and Carnivale. I love photographing the people there. And um, India. India is just a magical, mag magical place. Uh, getting back to the question on what makes a good picture, you know, eye contact. I'm sure you guys and everyone looking at this picture feels as though, this gentleman that I photographed in the train station is looking right at, at well, is looking at you and looking, looking at all the, all the viewers, but he has like a little smile on his face. So I connected with him. Also the catch light in the eyes is, uh, is nice here. So yeah, it's, and so we have some cat, this is taken down in Panama. So yeah, official parking man in Cuba. So I know I'm going through these fast, but I, I really do love I love photographing um, people. And sometimes, you know, I said before that, uh, you know, I get emotional when I see that picture of my father. But once in a while, I think, you know, I, I was like in this Buddhist, in this novice um, Buddhist monk's life for maybe five minutes. And, you know, then he's not thinking about me or this long neck woman in Myanmar or uh, or this uh, leg rower fisherman in Myanmar. You know, so I, I, I'm in these people's lives for just, you know, a few minutes, uh, a few minutes at most, because uh, the last thing I want to do is overstay my welcome. There's another shot in Cambodia taken with, with this uh, good eye contact. But then, you know, the people that, you know, I'm out of their lives. So it's, it's really special to have experience and to, to have these people let me into their lives. And the key to that is having the people trust you and, and you know, this woman, Tariano, Indian woman that I photographed in uh, deeper than the rainforest of Brazil, you know, she knew I respected her because I'm talking to her. I say, why do you paint your face? I, I'm trying to get an interaction going. And she said, through our guide, interpreter, uh, she said, um, well, we, we do this. So when we go into the rainforest, the gods in the rainforest uh, protect us uh, and help us with our hunts. And you learn by traveling what's important to people. For example, what's important to this woman? Surviving until the next day. They're not thinking about, they're not looking at their calendar on their iPhone and thinking about what they're doing in six months. They're thinking about, uh, you know, what, what's going on, uh, what's going to, you know, happen the next day. So traveling is, is a great, great, great education. And seeing what's important to other people, I think, Again, getting back to the grateful feeling makes makes me really grateful for uh, you know what I have. You're a national treasure, <laughs> and this all happened because I was excited about going to Yahats, and yeah. I just discovered this amazing 
um, piece of work. And I, I understand, Fred, why you're so enthusiastic about your friend. And I hope you'll come back and share other photographs with us. Well, well, I will, and I would love to, but Mary, I'm going to ditch the uh, the Godfather uh, uh, title. I'm going to go for National Treasure. Uh, I think I, it's I think, Fred, what do you think? I think National Treasure is is better. I, in, in many ways, Rick. You, <laughs> you, you, you teach people about photography, you teach people about music, but I, th I think you teach teach us all a lot about life through through all of your work. So thank you so much for, for sharing and spending time with us, Rick. You guys are a lot of fun and uh, you, you, uh, you know, I definitely want to come back. Well, those were some wonderful words of wisdom from Rick and he's creative in so many ways and such a pleasure to meet him. Really, uh, so thank you, Rick. And our next guest will move you in a different way. Chunka Mui is a futurist and author of A Brief History of a Perfect Future, Inventing the World We Can Proudly Leave Our Kids by 2050. I really love the title of the book, and thank you so much for joining us, Chanka. One of the things we want to talk with you about is how we can move, have more mobility as we age, something you talk about in your book. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for the important work that you're doing. You know, we know that at every age group, transportation is, is core, key to quality of life. You know, it's, it's key to um, quality from a happiness standpoint. It's also key from an economic uh, opportunity standpoint. And certainly as we all get older, um, transportation becomes that much more important because it's key to uh, reducing social isolation and also key to, uh, to all those different aspects of quality of life. And, you know, over the last uh, 10, 15 years or so, billions of dollars have been invested in new transportation technology, both uh, driver assistance technology and autonomous driving technology, both of which I think create the opportunity for tremendous innovation uh, in terms of use cases for specific targeted towards the age groups you just, you just described. You know, there's, a, there's much made very often today about uh, the age at which people can and or should continue to drive. Um, you take an optimistic viewpoint, I think, in your book about how the technology is going to enable us to remain mobile in the years to come. Tell us what, what your vision is here. Sure. I'm very optimistic because I think if we look at the last 25 years of technology advancement, we can easily follow the same trend and see the same kind of advancement over the next 25 years. Um, and it's, just, it's just almost a, um, uh, a regular clock cycle of industry and, and of physics. And I think with that kind of computational power and advances in energy technology, um, we're gonna be able to essentially in 25 years have many, many use cases where people don't have to drive at all. I mean, think about it this way. You can think about mobility as what you can do in the front seat of the car, but what if you could just sit in the back seat of the car and, and be driven around? And especially when we're talking about senior communities where the use cases are known, where you don't have to drive 90 miles an hour through the, through the, uh, through, on the Audubon, uh, where, where, the, where you can map the, uh, the facilities. I think autonomous driving will be um, more used than people driving themselves, certainly in 25 years and probably likely in 10 years. So when you have that defined area around a senior community, it's not very difficult to put autonomous vehicles 
on the streets to transport people from here to there, because in, in a defined area where you're not saying, oh, take me 150 miles away, pretty easy for, 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 for that to be accomplished. In fact, it is being accomplished today in some Absolutely. communities. Absolutely. Even, even in uh, open urban areas like San Francisco and Phoenix, uh, also in, in areas of Texas now, uh, you, have, you have use cases where uh, autonomous taxis are driving in, in urban settings. Now, they're limited in terms of where they can go and the kinds of driving they'll do. But if you, have a, if you start focusing in on well-defined well communities, well-defined uh, use cases in those communities, I think the opportunities are, are wonderful, uh, both for the potential customers and for the entrepreneurs. Meanwhile, there's the safety technology that is being built into, I guess, the, the vast majority of, of new cars today. Tell us about the significance of that, the importance in, in protecting us sometimes from ourselves. Well, we're protecting us from ourselves. We're protecting us from people doing crazy things outside of our cars. Uh, but in, in every car that, that Mary just described, including one she aspires to, uh, we're going to have a wealth of cameras. We're going to have a wealth of radar. So you have anti-collision uh, warning mechanisms. You'll have blind spot detection. You'll have all these things that essentially surround us with more information, right? That augment our senses, allow us to, to be safe and to drive safely. So when I was um, sitting in the shade trying to cool off my car because the it it needs more freon, I watched this woman caregiver try to load a wheelchair into the back of her car. And I've been studying transportation aging for a long time, mostly as an advisor to Silveride. And some of the use cases that they have found in transportation are things like an older adult wants to go to the opera with a companion who also has opera tickets. And you look at Join Papa and young people driving older people. It turned out for my mother in her later years, a trip to CVS and to the zoo was a really great joy for her. And some people, so your passions continue. And one of the things that Silver Ride got right was shortening the ride to dialysis. So you have more time in your life and pairing you to with another enthusiast who also likes the Warriors or Giants baseball. So yeah. each person has a list of the things that they really want to do. And on the top of that list, as Fred and I can tell you, the desert of life is visiting your children and grandchildren. And, and also hanging out with your friends. Absolutely. And so um, and then there's also the volunteer work that has such a purpose. I was so inspired that during the COVID, Uber Eats was delivering food to older adults in, in Illinois. And I think there is this notion with companies like Chefs for Seniors and Meals on Wheels of how do we get food out? We have a panel here on food insecurity. So there's a lot of use cases for the need to transportation. Absolutely. But I, um, I only drive in the slow lane. I'm not a great driver to start with. So I can't wait for this technology to happen. And I can't wait until somebody else drives me. Uh, uh, as, yeah. as, as, as we've seen in the tremendous uh, rise in Uber and Lyft, I mean, the, the move from owning a car to just hiring a car gives you both 
not only tremendous flexibility and schedule, it gives you a, a great economic lift, right? Because you don't have the fixed costs uh, of, of owning and maintaining that car. But the other thing that you mentioned, which I think is really important to, to, to emphasize here is that mobility is not just about the transportation technology, it's about the integration of the information technology with the transportation technology and allowing you know, mobility uh, in a broad sense, um, both in terms of uh, bringing people together and allowing them to go from point A to point B. And all of that rides on the same technological set of curves. Um, and yeah. we haven't even started, you'll, I'm, I'm sure you'll talk about in um, other panels, the healthcare implications of, of these technological advances. So you put all that together. I mean, that when we say, you know, inventing a, a future we can be proud of to leave to our kids, we're also inventing a future for our parents and ourselves as well. And there's lots of, uh, lots of great opportunity out there. We just did a podcast on uh, cancer risk and it was a very important podcast, I think. And um, one of the areas of concern during COVID is canceling doctor's appointments, canceling follow-up. How do we live to be 100 in a well way where we are contributing, where we're making a difference, where we're continuing to learn? And transportation is just something that, that is just given to us. Uh, now, I had a driver for many years when I had a venture-backed startup. I had to do that when I had a venture-backed company because I had to go to so many meetings. As we get older, it might be the trip to the beach with our friends or the museum with our grandchild that we want to solve to, right? Absolutely, absolutely. One other quick issue to, to touch on before we let you go, Chunka, is the issue of affordability. Now, we talked about you know, Mary needing a driver or other people you know, using Uber and Lyft and whatnot. It becomes much more affordable when the technology is there to take over, that you're not paying a human being to do that. And, and we're facing the, the high prices of, of gas today, which, you know, everybody's feeling the pinch. At least most of us are really feeling the pinch of that. But you have a pretty optimistic view of the future of energy and how we're going to even power electric vehicles, because that becomes costly. Well, if you look at the cost curves on um, every one of the technologies we've talked about over the last 25 years, we've essentially had an exponential drop in costs for, for, this, you know, for the same kind of capability. If you think about you know, the, the, uh, the smartphone you have in your pocket or near your hand right now, you know, it's, it's more powerful than the computers that took the Apollo mission to the moon, right? At one less than 1% of the cost. Um, you know, we, one of the things you'll talk about in, in your other panels, I'm sure, is the, the miracles that are happening in healthcare driven by genomics. You know, genomic uh, sequencing has dropped by a factor of a million in the last 20 years. And the speed has increased by about that much, a factor of a million in, in, in dropping costs. So I think if we look at information technology and, you know, uh, autonomous vehicles are nothing more than um, computers on wheels with a big battery. <laughs> and battery, batteries are going, costing less and less. So um, I think we're gonna see rapid decreases in costs that will enable the spread of this technology to, to lots of people being able to use it. And you think we'll be able to charge the vehicles with clean energy at an affordable price? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're already at the point now where it's cheaper to, uh, to in, in many parts of the world, build a new electric, um, a solar-based 
electrical power plant than to operate a coal-based power plant. Um, and that trend is gonna, it's just gonna continue. I said, Fred and I are old enough to remember Earth Day in the beginning. And many of my college roommates still have their Earth shoes. And, you know, I remember having dinner with Ralph Nader when he wrote Unsafe at Any Speed. Now I see stock, Costco stock is up today. And that's because people are lining up to get gas at Costco because it's affordable. It's one of the big issues for people is paying for this. And I think there's a generational shift to embracing climate control and making sure that the world is, we leave the world safer for our children and our grandchildren. So I think it's part of who we are now. And, um, and I think everyone wants a world where older people are integrated into the society in a way that they can be mobile, they could share their wisdom. Um, I was talking this morning about inflation and the economy. And what I learned was when you see car prices, you know, when you see car sales, that's where interest rates really influence housing sales and car sales. And so everyone I know is thinking about how to shift to a less, less use of gasoline. It's a big issue for people when you're looking at heating costs, food costs, communication costs. It's no surprise to us, Fred, that Consumer Cellular and T-Mobile are becoming popular choices, right? People are looking for ways to save money. Well, Chunka, thank you so much for joining us. The book, again, is titled A Brief History of a Perfect Future, Inventing the World We Can Proudly Leave Our Kids by 2050. Thank you for having me. It's a thrill. Mary, your comments about the, the things so many of us are doing now to save money are so true, whether it's with our phones, the, the various subscriptions we have, or consolidating trips even to save on gas. And we'll be talking more about those issues in the weeks to come. Well, it certainly is a struggle and every little bit can help. Well, our guest today certainly lived up to the title, Things That Move You. What a great session. Really, it was. And we want to, again, thank Rick Salmon and Chunka Mui for spending time with us. Look for their books and their websites, ricksalmon, S-A-M-M-O-N.com, and Chunka Mui, C-H-U-N-K-A-M-U-I.com. We also want to thank our sponsor, VividPix. Their restore software works magic with your old photos, slides, and documents. The site is vivid hyphenpixpix.com. And of course, thank all of you for joining us and please remember to subscribe.